If there was a united Ireland tomorrow, how would it be governed? Well, let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We've done a few lately about the Brits behaving badly. If you want to scroll back in your podcast feed and figure out just what are they trying to do with the UK economy? What are all these U-turns about? Just scroll back there and while, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe. It really helps us out and we'll keep you up to date on all the weekly Let Me Explain podcasts. On this week's episode... It's been somewhat inspired by the conversations at the Ireland's Future Conference. It was on over the past weekend and lots of interesting talks about where the push for Irish unity is going. Catch some of them on YouTube if you didn't see any of it. And I think we might do a few episodes in the future asking some of those big questions about unity. How would the health service work, the police service, the courts, the flag, the anthem, all those tricky little questions that maybe you don't think of when straight away someone says let's have a border poll on a united Ireland. All those things about actually running a country that have to come together. But this week, we're going to specifically take a look at how a united Ireland parliament might work. And to preface this by saying this is not an exhaustive list. I haven't thought of every idea or every possibility. I don't think anybody has. And ultimately, whatever Dáil or Shannon or Parliament there is in the United Ireland will be something that comes together after years of probably kind of painful negotiations between all sides. Because one of the trickiest bits is going to be making sure it has legitimacy. Not only for what would be in the United Ireland the nationalist majority but also for the unionist minority who would find themselves part of one island and who deserve to be properly represented and if there isn't that level of buy-in particularly when this would be a situation that obviously wouldn't be the first choice of unionists then I think there's obviously going to be very very big problems so let's have a look at some of the options something raised by the Fianna Fáil TD Jim O'Callaghan was that while there is one goal for nationalists there are a few ways to get there I'd say there are people looking in on this thinking everyone in this room has the same political viewpoint, we don't everyone comes here with a different political perspective but on this one issue we have agreement but I think as I said before uh, I put a paper together as to what I thought would be a good um, framework for a united Ireland but I think there is some benefit. We're not going to get complete agreement here in respect of what a united Ireland should look like. But I think we have to provide assurances to those who aren't interested, those who are ambivalent, and those who are opposed to it, because they, they're going to exist. And I think a way of progressing is if we can set out a number of guarantees that people who become part of a united Ireland will know that this is going to be a country of equality and diversity. It's not going to be any type of a sectarian state as we saw. Previously. Jim, just while I have you here, would you like to be the team? The- shock of a new Ireland? I, I would, yeah. Thanks very much. For it. Okay. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, Amanda, I don't have the only vote on that. That's to be decided by the people of Ireland. Interesting there, not only because of his own ambitions, but that there would remain a Taoiseach as the head of some sort of parliament, whatever form it takes. And Tónaiste and future Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, he went a step further and suggested that Stormont would not only stay in, in a united Ireland, but that other parts of the infrastructure of Northern Ireland would stay too. I believe there are models which can work. I don't believe I have all the answers. And that's why engagements like this are so important. For example, Northern Ireland could continue to have its own devolved parliament with cross-community parish sharing, its own courts, education system, police and health service. We could continue to have north-south bodies and east-west cooperation 
we could strengthen and deepen both of these strands. There are lots of ideas as to how that can be done. And I don't have the time today to elaborate on them, but I would like to. Some people mightn't see that as sufficient change, but the biggest change would be the most important one. A sovereign government would be an Irish one. The right to be Irish, British or both, and accepted as such, would continue as enshrined in the Good Friday Agreement. And in the main, symbols would not change without agreement. Colleagues, it can't be a forced set of relationships and can't be based on ultimatums or deadlines or demands. It cannot and should not be the triumph of one tribe over another, because otherwise we will all suffer and it won't succeed. You heard the booze there when he talked about East-West relationship, but let's explore the overall idea for a little bit. So for a lot of people, keeping Stormont and all the other institutions separate, like Bragger talked about, well, that doesn't sound a whole pile like a United Ireland, does it? Is that just a scenario where basically Dublin takes over the role that London currently plays, in that Stormont would make the laws and the rules in the six counties of what was once Northern Ireland, and Dublin only steps in if the institutions collapse. Like, I don't think that's what a lot of people have in mind. And I do wonder as well what would happen to the Dáil in that scenario. It probably would have to expand and allow voters in the six counties to elect representatives like they currently do to the House of Commons. But there's big differences there as well, though. For example, firstly, Sinn Féin would take their seats, adding to their numbers in the Republic in this united Dáil, whatever we call it. And unionists elected to the Dáil would have a lot more influence in Dublin than they do in London. The DUP, for example, currently has 8 out of 650 seats in the Commons. Even if the Dáil expanded to, say, 200 seats, a block of 8 could be kingmakers in a potential coalition which needs just 100 votes for a majority. So I do wonder, would there be more value for unionism in having just one parliament? If you look at, say, a very, very crude merger of the Dáil and Stormont right now, you'd end up with 250 seats, 90 from Stormont, 160 from the Dáil, 37 of which, under the currently elected crop of politicians, would be classed as unionists. Now, that might be smaller in a parliament of a united Ireland where there is a Republican majority, but still, you could say kind of somewhere anywhere between maybe 30 and 40 seats would be unionists, and that is a very significant, influential block for any Dáil. And the way I see it, there are a couple of options if we're going down this train of thought. So there's Varadkar's suggestion, a Dublin government and a Belfast executive with devolved powers. Or one national parliament electing people from all communities, or maybe a mix of the two. Have the Dáil rule from Dublin and the Shannad sit in Belfast, for example. Although separating the two houses of one legislature would be a bit of a logistical headache but that's something that could be worked out particularly if there were say a high-speed train between Dublin and Belfast which has been called for for a long time but I digress there is other possibilities of course and one that would really shake up how things are governed so Jim O'Callaghan he talked about and I'm quoting here a united Ireland that will guarantee Stormont whether under a federal system or a bicameral system will be a house of legislature that will continue to make laws end quote now a bicameral system is basically what I've just talked about it's the fancy word for that two houses that must work together to make laws but a federal system well, that's something that could give a lot of power back to local areas. Well, people are going to think this is rigged. For €10,000, what is the capital of the Republic of Ireland? 
the capital of the Republic of Ireland, for 10,000 euro. Yeah, no, it's, um... Yes? It, well, it, do, uh-huh. Do, 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 it's Cork! Oh, I'm sorry, you've just lost 10,000 euro. The correct answer was Dublin. No, that's what you would think. So what if Dublin devolved a lot of power to the regions? So you had your doll in Dublin and you kept Stormont in Belfast, but then also added a chamber, say, in Cork and in Galway or maybe somewhere else. I'm obviously biased towards Waterford, I'd say there. Chamber for the southeast, why not? Or even break it up more than that, devolve a lot of the decision-making to local councils, but with actual real power and budgets and much more control than what's there now. A slimmed-down executive in Dublin could make the national policy decisions, but then the implementation would be down to each community, which would have obvious advantages if you are, you know, in a particular community in what was once Northern Ireland, I suppose, under this United Ireland situation. It's not totally dissimilar to the Swiss model of government, which sounds very different and quite odd to us. And Virgin Media News political correspondent Gavin Riley, well, he thinks it has its benefits. So the Swiss model is a little bit like the American one that people will be familiar with, where there is a national government, but then there are individual sort of authorities for everyone of what they call in Switzerland the cantons. Um, but basically how it works is that because Switzerland is such a diverse country with different linguistic mixes, there's a French community and a German community and an Italian community and then a Romance community that don't speak any of the other three languages. And because it's a very diverse place, you need to have hyper-localised decision-making. So although there is a national parliament, there are also individual uh, parliaments and governments for each of their 31 cantons. Now, Switzerland, it is worth bearing in mind, is a country of comparable size to Ireland, at least in territory, that its population is not a huge amount bigger. And there are some cantons that would have populations equal to or even smaller than the average Irish county. So I don't think it's all that wild an idea to think that it could be done. But one of the benefits of having hyper-localised decision-making could be that if you have a united Ireland and you're not sure whether to keep Stormont, and there's good questions about why you'd keep Stormont if a majority of the people that it represents are now nationalists, so what would be its use to unionists, that if you broke it down even to smaller clumps again, if you had, for example, 32 local authorities, one for each of the counties, the historical counties, and then you could decide that uh, all or most decision-making could be done locally. So you could have a situation where instead of trying to figure out whether you'd have a single overarching set of laws that work for the entire island or a single health service and, and how you would knit the two together. Instead, you leave it up to local governments to decide exactly how all of that might work, that you'd have some overarching national rules, but that decisions about health services and laws and even things about like flags and anthems and ideology uh, and, and emblems could all be done locally. And it might be a way to make... Uh, people feel more at home in United Ireland because if you're a unionist or a loyalist, you might feel then like decisions about your life are being made in your local county hall, somewhere closer to you, rather than being made in Dublin by uh, a parliament in which you don't feel very well represented. Basically, in Switzerland, there is an executive of seven ministers all heading up a different department. They're effectively your cabinet. And they rotate the position of president every year. But really, it's a ceremonial role. It's first among equals. and They don't have any extra power as president. Now, at the moment, those seven spots are split between four parties, all of them governing together, with people voting in multiple referendums every year on both local and national policy. 
Recently, for example, the Swiss rejected the government's climate change plan in 2021 and voted to introduce a burqa ban. Switzerland rejects the free money plan. Swiss voters overwhelmingly shot down a proposal this weekend to introduce a guaranteed basic income for everybody living in the country. The plan called for a no-strings-attached payment of around $2,500 a month for adults and then $640 per child, regardless of income and assets. Supporters say that basic income should be considered one of the human rights amidst a growing debate on rising inequality between the rich and the poor. Opponents, including the government, say that the plan would cost too much and weaken the Swiss economy. And so the benefits, along with putting more power to the people in this particular setup, would be that the ruling council, our cabinet, could have a guaranteed number of seats for unionists or Republicans or others like the Alliance Party and maybe any other party that gets above a certain threshold in an election. So conceivably, you could have a cabinet of equals made up of Fine Gael, the DUP, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil, Alliance and the SDLP or the UUP. All of them charged with governing, but in a way that is different to what they have in Stormont at the moment in that not one of them could pull it down of their own accord at any one time. And devolved power to local parliaments is actually possible under the constitution thanks to barrister William Quill on Twitter for pointing out that the sole power for making laws lies with the Oireachtas but there is a section of the constitution that says provision may be made for the creation or recognition of subordinate legislators so maybe that was something that Dev had in mind when drafting the constitution Berlin on the 3rd of October 1990 when two Germanys became one again It was Soviet leader Gorbachev's policies of glasnost and perestroika that brought about German reunification. 32 years ago this month, we got probably our closest look at a reunification project, two Germanys becoming one. And in that instance, the East German parliament, the Volkskammer, voted to become part of the West. Its last prime minister saying that the process wasn't easy, but it became clear their main purpose was to abolish themselves. And two months later, the first all-German elections since the Nazi period were held. So were Ireland to follow that German model, then our current Dáil and Shannon system might just be kept with expanded membership to take into account for Northern Ireland, or what was once Northern Ireland. Look, as I said at the start, there are loads of possibilities. I haven't mentioned them all, haven't even time to get into them all. But if you have one you think is worth getting into, an interesting idea for how our parliament might work, do get in touch on social media. Maybe we'll feature it in a future episode. John Kyo was the editor this week. Lock and Heart was on sound. And I'm Sean Defoe. I will chat to you next week. <laughs>